Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Marnie's Friends, and I'm so excited to have you along this afternoon for our program. We're going to be talking about real women leading with Proverbs 31 values, and our guest today is Don Yoder. During this hour, you're going to discover that the Proverbs 31 woman is still a relevant role model today. We're going to spend some time talking about that as well as how mentorship is a game changer, why character determines your potential, how relationships rely on understanding, why people follow forgivers, why responsibility is good stewardship, and how attitude is our greatest asset. We're going to learn about resolving conflicts and how that brings God's blessings, how to use self-restraint that will result in trust, and that honesty encourages confidence, planning is more than a to-do list, and leadership is influence. Our guest today, Don Yoder, is the co-author of a brand-new book called Real Women Leading with Proverbs 31 Values. The forward is by John C. Maxwell, and her co-author is Lisa Troyer. Don herself is the CEO of a 500-plus company, or employee company, a worship leader and a songwriter, and she just released her first CD entitled Love Me Back to Life. And she's actually one of our featured artists at the upcoming Bible Study Expo in uh, just a few weeks here, so that's exciting too. In addition to being a board member of Circle of Friends, Don is also blessed to be part of an organization called La Red, which seeks to bring values and principled thinking into all aspects of society, including business, government, and education. She's been married to Jeff Yor for 20 years, and they have four children together aged from 6 to 17, and she's here to share with us real women leading with Proverbs 31 values. Welcome, Don. Thank you, Marnie. I am so happy to be here. This is exciting. Well, I'm excited about your awesome book, and uh, for all of you uh, who aren't women's ministry leaders, this is a great book for any of us, whether you're leading in business, leading in your home, uh, leading in a ministry setting. This is just a book that you're going to want to have on your shelf. You're going to want to study it and read it and put it into practice. Done. One of the first things that, of course, comes to our mind when we think of Proverbs 31 women uh, is that it's impossible. You know, she's just like this humongous ideal out there. You know, it doesn't seem like she sleeps. It seems like she can do everything. Just this perfect person out there. And yet you say that she's a relevant role model today. So maybe tell us why you think she is and maybe what some of our misperceptions about her might be. Well, the Proverbs 31 woman, I used to think, yuck, I do not want to do any of that. (laughs) I remember just hearing about it when I was a kid in church, and the focus was on getting up early and making breakfast and sewing clothes and tending a garden. And I just did not think at, you know, 14, any of that sounded real interesting to me. And I didn't see it as relevant. What I saw it is a way to measure myself and come up short. And so I didn't huh. want to look at it, you know, and I, because who wants to feel like you're less than? And, and that's what I felt. I was less than what God intended because those weren't my desires. And so then as a grown-up lady, I took another little look at it, and I saw that it's relevant. And here's one reason right off the bat. Like you said, there are so many things. It's like this woman never sleeps. It's impossible. I look at that as opportunity. That means that all of those opportunities are open for us, that God has given us a green light in all those different areas, and I think that's amazing. Oh, I love that perspective. That's awesome. Because actually she's she's an astounding person. When you read through it, she's buying property. She's got, you know, businesses going. She's raising a family. Her family loves her and values her, and she's a valuable asset to them. And that's a great way to think about it. And I guess I never thought about it that way directly, although, of course, since it's there, it makes perfect sense. Now, what is one of the biggest misconceptions we have about her? I think the biggest misconception is, we, like what I just said, it's a limiter, means it puts us in our role. It puts us in our place. 
instead of seeing all the roles that she takes on. So let me just talk about a couple really quick that are maybe something we hadn't thought about. One of the things I think is really awesome, and it's found kind of in the middle of the chapter around verse 15, is I pick up there that she's responsible to say yes to the right things and not everything. Because it talks about her weighing out if she's going to buy or sell a field and decide if that's a good idea. Now, a field brings responsibility. So to me, that shows, hey, I'm not responsible for everything, but I'm responsible to say yes to the right things. And so that's one way that I think that's extremely relevant right now. We are all multitaskers. It doesn't matter what we're doing. We all get busy. If we're homeschooling, we are super busy. If we're in the workplace, if we're teaching in a school, if we're working in a church, there's a lot going on, and life moves fast. And so part of that is having that release to say, I'm not responsible for everything, only for the things that God is putting in my hands and puts his blessing on. I love that. I have this saying done that there's time to do everything God created me to do. There's time to do everything God wants me to do. And then I follow it up with with a couple sentences. There is not time to do everything. There is not time to do everything good. There is not time to do everything everybody else wants me to do. And there is not time to do everything I want to do. But if God is God, then there absolutely is time to do everything he wants me to do. And that's what you're saying about now now past the time into the investments, into the uh, you know, resources, whatever. If it's of God, it's a yes. If it's not, it should be a no. Absolutely. That's exactly I love I love your little saying. That's perfect because that's exactly what it boils down to. Mm. Another area that I love for me, because I kind of, I've always kind of liked shoes and clothes and stuff. I mean, I'm kind of girly that way. And in verse 22, it talks about how she makes coverlets and cushions. And, okay, I don't really sew much. But then she goes to her clothing is of linen, pure and fine, and purple. And so what I pulled out of there, what I feel is like, hey, she makes the most of what she has, and she's not afraid to put on something nice or wear the best thing that she has or make her home as nice as she can. It's not wrong. It's not frivolous. It's not ridiculous to try to make the most out of what you got because it's actually good stewardship. It's using what you have. And so I just thought, hey, that's very relevant to who I am today. I love that, and I think it's really funny because I've never even thought about that as far as it going into detail about kind of the, um, what might be called an extreme. Okay, so if we say, okay, we're here and we have the ability to shop and buy beautiful coverlets for our couches or whatever, um, or our bodies, and yet we have people in India or in other impoverished parts of the world who are not able to buy those same things, it's saying that if God gives you opportunity in the heart to do that, that's okay. If he doesn't, that's okay too. But I, I love how you're I love how you're winding this in right away and saying instead of viewing this as a limiter, view it as a freer. She's also simultaneously to doing that, being very generous, isn't she? Absolutely. One of the things about the Proverbs thirty one woman is that she is generous. She figures out the best thing to help other people. And I think that is amazing because she talks about, I mean, it talks about in the scripture passage how she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her filled hands to the needy. And then if you look at the Amplified, I like this little addition. You know, they add their little kind of looking to the meaning of the words. And that says whether in body, mind, or spirit. And I think Mm. that is really a picture of generosity. It's not just about giving money to something or donating some used clothes. It's looking at what does a person really need and doing what you can to provide what they really need, not enabling them, but making them able to move forward in their life. Mm, Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. You talk about mentorship being a game changer. And, of course, my title is mentor, and I, I mentor thousands of people from all over the world through the online mentorship program at Marnie.com. And as we look at mentoring, it, it totally does, um, it takes on a whole different feel from just being a friend or from just being a mom or from, you know, it has its own, it has its own place in the world. When you think about mentoring, how, how do you, how do you see it as a game changer? Well, the first thing about it is that when you have a mentor, when you seek out somebody, you need to find somebody who has already done or is doing what you want to do and learn from them. You see something in their life that you say, that right there, 
I want to have that in my life. It may not be everything they do, but if there's a specialized area where you think you could gain, that person needs to be your mentor. And in turn, a mentor, there's different kinds. Like you said, you can mentor thousands online. Sometimes we have a personal mentor who will just go and sit down and ask questions. But the thing about a mentor is when they know us, they'll see our potential. When we don't, they'll see what we could be when we're focused on you know, where we've fallen or where we've come short. And they'll encourage our talent and they'll encourage our calling. And so when we're with a mentor, we can learn from their successes, we can learn from their mistakes, and that puts us on the fast track to growth. And that's why I think mentorship is exciting and really is a game changer because any time that we're able to speed up that growth process, we're able to more quickly come into what God has for us, to what our mantle is, to where our destiny is. I love it. I am so – I have such a heart for mentoring um, and for being mentored also. But um, one of the things that really helped me identify that I was supposed to be a mentor to lots of people in lots of different ways is this these lists. And I'm going to go through them here real quickly for you guys so you can identify which areas of these you might be able to be a mentor to someone and which ones you might need a mentor in. The categories of support include spiritual, is this person at peace with God and self and able to help you grow in your faith? Physical, are they modeling the kind of health standards that you want to have? Seasonal, maybe they've just completed uh, a stage of life that you're currently in and they can help you. Professional, again, are they just a little further along? Positional, are they a veteran member of, of a group that you're going into that they could help you there? Vocational, are they skilled in a specific task or skill set that you might need to know? Next? Visional, do they have a knack for seeing things that as they could be instead of just as they are? Editorial, maybe they typify your target audience or possess an eye for detail that's going to help you to take your work to the next level. Organizational, are they juggling life responsibilities like yours but in a highly effective manner? And social media, and that's are they skillful in using the cutting-edge technologies to um, to communicate with more people. These are just 10 of the ways that you could look for a mentor in one or all of these. And I don't even have on their spiritual mentor. <laughs> so, I mean, oh, yeah, I did. That's the number one. I'm thinking, why don't I have that on there? But that was number one. Yeah, these are just some of the ways. And what's beautiful to me, Don, is that everybody needs one. And everybody should be one. Oh, yes. Absolutely. One of the things I'd love to throw, since you gave that list, which I think is amazing, do you mind if I throw a few prep questions for people if they Absolutely. find a mentor that they could? Okay, sure. so here's, here's my little list when I find somebody that I think, oh, I want to talk to them. I ask myself, what do they do well? And I try to stay really focused in that area. I don't want to ask them questions about things they don't do well because we all have those. Ask them about what they do well because that's where you can gain the most information to propel you forward. Ask them what are they learning now. Wherever God has them right now is what is fresh in their life, and they're going to talk about that with passion, with enthusiasm, and with fresh revelation. You'll really glean from that. Ask them what have you read or what have you done that has helped them. Most of us have a favorite book or something that really like, man, that spoke to me and changed my life. Find out what it was that spoke to them or changed their life and look at it and see what you can get out of it. One of the things I think, too, is I ask myself some questions. I ask myself, where am I struggling and what do I need to ask them about the subject? I focus on three key areas. One, there's all C's. The first one is challenge. The second one is conflict, and the third one is character. So I look at what are the challenges in my life, where are the conflicts in my life, and where is my character struggling, either situationally or relationally, that this person might be able to help me in. And then when I'm winding up, I think, what is one thing that you think you need to tell me that I haven't asked you? And if I see them again, I want to find out from them, what have you learned since the last time we got together? Sometimes when we go to approach a mentor, it can be a little scary if we're not, you know, we don't know what to ask. We're not sure how the conversation is going to go. But if you prepare yourself with some questions like that, then when you get there, you'll be amazed. The time will just fly. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg. I'm visiting today with Don Yoder of DonYoder.com. We're going to come right back and talk about how character determines your potential as well as how relationships rely on understanding. We'll be right back.
successfully maximizing the gifts God has given us is the best gift that we can give back to God. Are you 100% clear about why you're here, about how God defines success for you personally? Are you on track with God's plan for your life, the best life on planet Earth, followed by the best possible eternity for you? If not, check out the Success Principles Intensive Training course over at Marnie.com. It's a six-hour online program that will change how you define and do your life from today forward. It's a biblically-based approach to goal-setting and achievement. So check it out under the training tab at Marnie.com. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Don Yoder, co-author of Real Women Leading with Proverbs 31 Values. Don, how did you decide to write this book and this, uh, this work? Well, Lisa and I, first of all, we're friends and we've been ministry partners for the last five years and written songs together and done all kinds of things. And we found ourselves at a at a women's conference that we were speaking in. It was kind of a break time and we were sitting at a table full of women. And we were all from different situations, different places in life and in different seasons of life. And as we're talking, we found out that one core thing that we all had in common were our values. It was trying to figure out how to apply things in our life to be successful, if that was at home with family or in a workplace or in a ministry environment, whatever that was. And as we talked about it, the conversation turned to the Proverbs 31 woman. And as we started thinking about that, we thought, wow, this might be a really uh, relevant way to relate these values to people in a way that they see application. It's one thing to learn something. It's a whole other avenue to be able to see, oh, there's where I can apply it right there. And so what we really endeavor to do with this book is we give application at the end of every chapter. It's called the it factor, which stands for igniting transformation. And that allows someone to look at that and say, okay, here's a bunch of suggestions, and here's a bunch of what it looks like and what I'll benefit from and, and, and what, what I need to do. So now how do I make something that's small and measurable as an action step that I can do this week where I can implement and see positive change right away? And that really propelled us to thinking, okay, we got to do this. Mm. So cool. You talk about how character determines our potential. And first of all, step back from it a little bit and talk about character. Is that something we're born with? Is that something that we pick our character? Or where do you believe it comes from and how, how, can, we, um, how can we identify how it affects our potential? Well, I really believe that our character comes from developing. It comes from uh, our our uh, conscience. It comes from the values that we've had in our lives, either from our upbringing, um, from our company that we keep, from the things that we take in, the things that we read, the things that we think about. All of those things go to develop our character. And it seems like such a big word. What it really means is the way that we live our life. It's our values. It's how we approach situations, relationships, and make decisions. So character is things like honesty, responsibility, Restraint, understanding people, forgiveness, what we do with our money, what we do with our influence. Those are all things that are part of our character. Hmm. And it, it obviously determines our potential or affects our potential because lacking some main or critical character qualities would definitely prevent us from doing certain things. In what it does. does it it does. It's like, um, to me, it's, def- it's foundational. It's core. Like you hear, everybody hears those terms, core values. We throw those out all the time. What are your core values? Well, when you think about core, it's like our stomach is our core of our body. And doctors say, hey, if you keep your core healthy, if you exercise your core, your back stays healthy, thing, you know, everything works well. And it's the same thing. When we exercise those character values in our life, everything works well because that's the foundation. And if we've got cracks in our foundation, it isn't long before we've got cracks going up our walls and bad stuff starts happening. It really undermines. You can have tons of potential, but if your character isn't there to back it up, it can completely undo your life. So true. And just as character determines potential relationships, rely on understanding. Do you have an example that comes to mind right away for that one? Oh, yeah. Well, one of it is, I mean, with my family, relationships just in that close environment rely on understanding. If I'm understanding what is expected by my daughter when she gets off the bus, 
okay, and I'm meeting her expectations. If she's understanding what I'm expecting and she's meeting those expectations, if I'm understanding how she's feeling, if I'm reading that body language, you know, she gets, she's, um, my, my youngest daughter is, is nine, she gets off the bus, she gets in the car, and I read her day by her body language, by what she says, and then we start probing into her day because this is how you can get into their life until you can get them to unpack. Here's one thing that I talk to people about their kids all the time in my work environment and places I go, and I always tell them, you can't expect your kids to come into your world. I know your world was here first, but they're younger than you, so you adapt. They're less mature. You have to climb into their world. When you climb in, and I'm not talking about giving them everything they want. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about relating. You climb into their world to relate. And when you have that kind of understanding, the relationship blossoms. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have to dig for information or, or find out how they're feeling because they just start unpacking it to you because it's a safe place to go. So that's why I think relationships really do rely on that understanding. I love the quote by Dr. Maxwell. He says, knowing what people need and want is the key to understanding them. And if you can understand them, you can influence them in a positive manner. And with my family, it's really important to me that I'm influencing them in a positive manner. Mm, absolutely. I love that. And it reminds me, when I wrote the book, Retreats Made Easy, which is a handbook for women who are planning retreats for their women's ministry groups, um, I started off with the with the story about unmet expectations and how women respond. We were doing a catering event. Uh, we own a restaurant, and uh, we were doing a catering event for a large um, conference. And somehow there was a misunderstanding in the meeting in the morning. They'd given them out. Um, they'd given them out a, a little paper each to sign up for what kind of. Subway sandwich they wanted the next day at lunch. But a lot of people didn't catch that it was the next day. And so everybody came into the uh, dining hall for lunch expecting Subway sandwiches, but it wasn't. It was Mexican because it was what we brought. And it was interesting to watch that the men who came through made an easy transition from Subway to Mexican. They had no trouble at all. But the women who came through really struggled. A lot of them really had a hard time to make that transition. And I realized why that was is because women think ahead and they plan everything out. And so they already knew how many calories their subway was going to be and what they were going to have for dinner because they had subway for lunch. And for them, it was a much bigger transition than for the guys who just kind of take it or leave it, whatever is in front of them they eat and all that kind of stuff. So when we're working with women's ministry as well as with our kids, this this is so critical that we get inside their heads a little bit, figure out what their expectations are, and then either we can meet them or we can't. But if we can't meet them, at least we can tell them up front that we can't and why we can't, which is going to reduce the level of pain or sense of alienation that comes when they don't think we care. Right? Yes. Is that yes. what it's about? We're able to reset the expectation. And that allows gives people time to adapt and adjust, which is great. Um, Right. One of the things that I always talk about with, with people when we're working through coaching situations and stuff is that if you can understand why someone does what they do and why they are the way they are, then you can really be better able to relate to them, to motivate them, to forgive them, and to work with them. And so it comes in all levels, like you said, from something as simple as what your lunch is to the extremely complex, which we've all dealt with that too. But when you get to that level, now all of a sudden you're relating to someone in a higher, at a higher level. You're motivating them at a higher level. You're able to forgive what you didn't think you could forgive because you have a different level of understanding. And you're able to work with them in a more positive and you get that momentum going. So it, it's all great. Absolutely, and that kind of flows into the next point, which was people follow forgivers. This is so important, and actually kind of putting these two together before you unpack the forgivers thing, um, I always encourage people to take as much personality training as they can, and we've got a whole bunch over at Marty.com, both in the management and women's ministry and the uh, life, wife, and mom training, because if you will take the time to understand the different personality types, you will have a huge, huge leg up on this ability to forgive people, which is kind of funny. You're forgiving them for being how they are. But the reality is, is that if you don't know that they're doing that because that's how they are, you don't even think of forgiving them. You're just irritated because they're not like you. Talk mm-hmm. to us about forgiveness and and, first of all, you know, 
what is your main thought here when you say people follow forgivers? Why is it so important? Well, first of all, I want to define, understand that forgiveness is an intentional release of a debt owed. So forgiveness doesn't mean, well, I just won't talk about it. It doesn't mean I'm just going to sweep it under the rug. It means that intentionally I've made a decision, you know what, that bothered me, but I forgive it, what, for whatever that is. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to understand why it affects if people follow us or not is because if, if we don't forgive, the reason that God, I believe, tells us to forgive is because he knows it's good for us. Without forgiveness, we become bitter, we become obsessive, we become distrusting. It affects our attitude, it affects our decisions you know, regarding other people. It's really poisonous. I mean, one, one of the things that Lisa says, and I think it's kind of funny, but it sound, it's true, is she said it's like putting cyanide in the office water cooler. We don't see it, we don't taste it, but everybody's affected by it. And in a workplace, it's the same way. When we don't forgive, we stop investing in, in other people because we're disappointed or we don't trust them, whatever that is. But when we stop investing in them, they stop following us. And so there's a lot of things that go along with that. Hmm. That's really an interesting thought that we quit investing. That's that's so true. That's so true. And I always like to, um, I guess it was the analogy that was taught to me earlier on was to just crawl up on the cross with Jesus, look down and say, Father, they don't know what they're doing. That's helped me so many times when I've been hurt, really hurt. And even if, like, for instance, because in his situation on the cross there, he knew they knew what they were doing. They meant to hang him on the cross. That's what they intended to do. That was their whole goal and purpose there was to hang him on the cross and to kill him that way in that torturous and humiliating way. But what he did realize was that even though they knew what they were doing in their actions, they had no idea how that was hurting him. They really did not know. And that's kind of where I go, uh, Don, if I've got somebody that's really hurting me badly, I just climb up on the cross with Jesus and I just, through God's grace, I'm going to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They really don't I mean, understand a, how this that's is That's a happening. wonderful word picture. It really is. Because one of the things that, that I think, too, about forgiveness is that when other people notice that we don't forgive, even if it doesn't involve them, if they notice we, we're not forgiving oh, something right. else, or maybe we say we forgive, but we kind of come back and you know make a little dig here and there when they're not around and that kind of thing, then they start to feel like they need to be perfect to exist in our world. And that produces all kinds of problems in a relationship because if people start to think that, then all of a sudden they're walking on eggshells thinking, you know, not if if I make them mad, but when am I going to make them mad? And when that happens, are they going to feel about me the way they feel about that person? So I think picturing that, putting ourselves on the place on the cross with Jesus and thinking about what he went through and understanding that Jesus did that to make us a part of his world by the same token, when we forgive other people, we open up that ability for them to feel like they can be a part of ours. That is so beautiful. This is Marty Sledberg. We're visiting today with Don Yoder, co-author of Real Women Leading with Proverbs 31 Values. We're going to come right back and talk about responsibility, attitude, resolving conflict, and self-restraint. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The fastest and easiest way to find out which major women's events are coming to your area is to visit www.womensevents.info. That's womensevents.info. It's the only directory of its kind, and it features all of the major events like Women of Faith, Beth Moore, E-Conference Women, and so many others. It's free to search, and you can find it all at womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg, and our guest today, Don Yoder of DonYoder.com, is sharing with us principles about real women leading with Proverbs 31 values. I'm so excited that you could be here, Don, and that you get to be at our uh, Bible Study Expo coming up, too, as one of our um, one of our recording artists that we're promoting and, and uh, featuring there. So excited about that. And you do have a new re- release CD out, Love Me Back to Life. Is this your first one? You know, I have a couple of different ones, but that's kind of my only by myself one. I collaborate a lot, but that's like the only one I have that's just me. So, yeah, I guess it kind of is my first one. And did you write most of these? Yes. On that album, um, I co-wrote most of the songs, probably I think maybe seven out of ten. 
And so I had a couple friends with me because I really like to write with people. As you like, the book is co-written, songs are co-written. I like that idea of teamwork and collaboration. I think I'm better when I get other people with me. I need their strengths, so I really enjoy that. That's great. That's great. I always say God loves body life. <laughs> so mm-hmm. somebody listening, if you haven't been able to make any. Uh, forward motion or you just can't get any traction, it's very likely, very possible that God's going to wait until you're willing to work with somebody who's going to help you take your project to the next level. I always see that in myself and I see it in others all the time. God loves, loves, loves body life. So great example of that in your life, Don. Thanks for that. Let's talk about responsibility in good stewardship. Yeah, responsibility is one of those words that, I mean, there are the people, like in the book, we even talk about Mary and Martha and the responsibilities there. And responsibility is one of those words. There are some of us who just, it kind of seems like we came out of the womb responsible. So we're like, yes, we're responsible. And there's other ones that responsibility seems like a scary thing. Usually women who are heading up leadership places, if you're, you're pretty responsible because you're knowing things need to be done. But responsibility, I don't think it's about performance. And I don't think it's about do I measure up or not. I, I know I can't allow it to be connected to my ego or my self-esteem, and I really don't believe it's meant to be a burden of obligation. Um, responsibility, the reason I connect that with good stewardship is I really think it's making good use of the assets and the opportunities that God places in our lives. So when we have responsibilities, we need to prioritize them. And we talked about a little bit earlier, choosing what to say yes to and then making the plan delegating when appropriate, and following through. Responsibility is a huge category in our lives because even when you went through your mentorship list, I mean, you had 10 things, and and some of those, those are all areas of our life we're responsible for, our spiritual life, our physical, our visional, our seasonal, our, our, you know, organizational. Those are all areas of responsibility. So I think it really takes frequent monitoring and a real honest assessment. Where am I at with this, and in what areas do I need to shore up, and what areas do I need to let go? Absolutely, and I'm going to address the opposite end of the spectrum here. I always say that um, me and a couple of my sisters were just came out of the womb overly responsible, and you really have to be careful for that one too. Um, God does not intend us to run the world, but rather for us to run with Him through the world. So I think I think it is that. Uh, that balance of taking responsibility for what God has said is uh, is yours to do for him and with him and through him, in him, for him, and to him, and then to let the rest go. And that's really hard for some of us. It is. It's really hard. I mean, specifically, I can be very transparent and tell you that is a struggle for me. That's why responsibility is one of those things that I, I really get up on there because I need it. When I speak, I'm speaking as much to me as to anybody else. I do tend to want to um, – it, it becomes control issues for me. You know, I want to control all the world I'm involved in, feeling like if I'm not there, they're all going to fall apart, like like the world is in my hands and not God's. And And so that's an area I have to watch out for, and that's why I have to relate it for myself to stewardship so that I understand it's just doing what I can with what I have where God's calling me to do it today. It's not about the whole world. It's about what, what God says, Don, this one's for you, and you let the other people get what I want them to get because that's their area to grow and shine and develop, not yours. So it's important to so me. So awesome. Yeah, and you talk about attitude, being the greatest asset. I, I always call it perspective, but attitude and perspective, whatever it is, I so agree that it changes everything. It changes everything. I just read this um, about a Harvard study that was done, and they did it on, and just, I mean literally just, as in I read it today. There was a study done on 84 women, and they were room attendants in hotels. They had two groups. They had a control group that were just doing everything business as usual. They didn't tell them anything different. They didn't do anything different. The second half of the group they were told that their work was exercise. And so they were encouraged, and all the work you're doing, this is exercise, and this is what you're going to gain, your benefits, and all this stuff. So they go through this testing period. They get to the end of the period. And the control group, there was nothing different. They didn't have any benefits. There was no change. And they were doing the same activities as the second group. Now, the second group who were told that it was exercise and their attitude about it was, hey, I'm getting a lot of health benefits through doing this. As a group, they lost weight, they lowered their blood pressure, they lost fat, and they reduced their body mass, in, body mass index, all because their attitude towards their work was different 
than what the other group was. Now, I'm sure they put different things into it, but they put different things into it because their attitude was different. Okay, guys, are you listening to this? This is so important. <laughs> so, so really, honestly, what we've seen done in our lives and uh, what I see in the people I work with all the time, what I see in my own life, is we can go through a situation that would you would think this is the worst thing that could ever happen to this person and they can come out just shining bright like a star. Somebody mm-hmm. else can go through something that's the worst thing that ever happened to them and come out bitter and broken and hopeless and discouraged and seemingly no good comes, you know, and how, how we go through these things in our lives is just so important, and it's important to keep our eyes closed. I, I love that verse in Hebrews. This is one of my favorite verses in the morning when I'm putting on my spiritual armor and I take up my shield of faith. I often, often say this verse, I believe you are there. I believe God exists and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. I choose to believe it. It's an attitude. It's a perspective. Mm-hmm. There are um, four, I have four Ds when I when I think about attitude that I kind of hold hold inside. I think my attitude determines what I'm going to attempt. It determines what I'm going to develop. It determines what I'm going to believe. And it either draws other people to me or it drives them away. And so uh-huh. that's how I kind of keep my perspective on what am I thinking about this? Because there's rough situations that come up every day. And I, I too love that verse in Hebrews because as long as, as we believe that God is for us, as long as we believe that he's in our corner, that he's fighting for us, that he's with us, man, there's just nothing that we can't do that, yeah, that he didn't design, yeah. you know, that he, he designed it for us to overcome through him. Um, sacred Romance in that book, he said, uh, they said that, that Satan's number one lie that he puts forth to all people is that God is not as good as he says he is. And I really think that's true because as soon as I start thinking that I'm on my own or that maybe God isn't going to help me or that possibly there's no hope or that this is just too much, which is these are all lies. They're not true. But they undermine the truth of what God said, just like he did with Eve in the garden. He will always attempt to undermine who God is and how good he is. And as long as we have the perspective and the attitude that God is who he says he is. He is as good as he says he is and that he is intimately involved in the details of our lives. Then this is where we find peace and joy and hope for the future. I just I just think attitude is so important. I really I love that. I had not heard that. I really love that. I'll have to pick up that book. <laughs> Oh, it's really good. It's such a good book, Sacred Romance. And what was interesting is I think I took um, two or three Bible study groups through that book years and years ago, Sacred Romance, and then they came out with a workbook after a little while, and I went through it again with the workbook. Oh, my goodness, just a whole other level of um, of healing that occurred there. It's just so, so good. It's written by two guys, and you would never believe it because they are uh, they are so sensitive um, to feelings and emotions, and it's like, really, this was written by a man? That's amazing. Not that you guys are never sensitive, but it was just so sensitive that I felt like it had to come from a woman, but it wasn't, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful work. Okay, let's talk about resolving conflict and how that brings God's God's blessing. First of all, it seems to me kind of obvious that resolving a conflict would bring God's blessing, but there is a special blessing reserved for peacemakers, isn't there? There is. There, there really is because God wants us to get along, and we know that. I mean, we do know that, but there's a verse in Matthew 5, 9, and I love the way it says it in the message. It says, you are blessed when you can show others how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover um. who you really are and your place in God's family. And I just love how it says that because I feel like you discover – that's how you discover who you really are in your place in God's family is when you help people to get along. When, and not just get along, but you help them to cooperate. See, that's different. There can be uh, that surface level of peace, but when people start cooperating, that's a whole different level of peace because now it's not just, oh, it all looks okay. Now it really is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Will you read that Matthew 5, 9 verse from the message again? It's it's just oh, loaded. It's really good. 
I'd love to. It's you are blessed when you can show others how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Mm. I love cooperate versus compete. That's just beautiful. And, of course, um, when I do training for people who are leading or or, uh, facilitating um, teleseminars or webinars or whatever like that, I always say what you model is what you get. If you Mm -hmm. want people to have long-winded answers, all you have to do is start with a long-winded speech. (laughs) If you want people to uh, point out everything bad about things the whole meeting, all you have to do is start out by pointing out something bad. And it it is we, we, we get what we model. And in this situation, if you model cooperation, you are going to foster a spirit of cooperation, whereas if you model competition of any kind, that's the spirit you're going to get. And it's not like you can uh, manipulate everybody and that it's always going to go perfectly that way, of course. But really, it does. the buck stops with you. If you're the leader, the buck stops with you. And even in your home, if you're going to always be you know, fighting and playing and competing, that's what you're going to get. And And one of the things that I love is when they say you either create your environment or you're allowing it. It's one of the two. If you're the leader, you're creating or you're allowing. So which one are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about self-restraint. In what what ways specifically do you feel like leaders must express self-constraint in their or self-restraint in their life? Well, I think that the way that we conduct ourselves with other people, it always influences our credibility with them. And so it, it depends, it, it really it determines how much they're going to confide in us, how much they're going to be open to our opinions. Um, so, for example, if we choose to not take part in destructive conversation, so I would, destructive conversation I think covers a lot of areas, but things like gossiping or belittling other people, complaining or, you know, raging when we feel pressure or something doesn't go our way. So if we're not partaking in that destructive conversation, we make people feel safe because they trust our reactions. When people can trust our reactions, now they can trust our leadership because they feel like, okay, I know they're going to handle themselves well. I know whatever little pickle we might get into, they're going to navigate us and lead us through it in a way where we can be successful now that changes. That's why they have that. They have that trust, and that's why they your leadership is elevated to a different level. They're not just following you because you're the leader. They're following not not the title. They're following you because they have a trust. You've built that relationship. Now you're a relational leader, not just a a title leader. Mm, love that. I know one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten uh, is that people call me a black hole that if they tell me something in confidence, it doesn't go anywhere, doesn't go anywhere. And leaders, I want to share with you how I can do that. Because, you know, there's that old saying, Don, that everybody's got to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. And sometimes sometimes we give someone a, a tidbit that's, that's confidence because we have to tell somebody. So we feel like we, don't, we need to get that pressure off of us and tell somebody. But that person also feels the pressure of needing to tell somebody. So when you tell someone something, just remember, they have this internal drive to tell someone. And as a leader, when people tell it to you or when people tell it to me, my best, my best advice to you is to do talk to somebody about it and let that somebody be Jesus. So I just always go talk to Jesus about it right away, get it off my chest, get it out of my head, give it to him, put it on his platter, and then pray about it as often as he brings it to my mind after that. But I don't have that need to share with other people. Self-restraint also plays out in other ways. Um, I I think about a person who is a a knee-jerk reactor who just every time something um, upsets them or or triggers a sense of um, uncertainty or whatever, they have a fast response that is not helpful to the team or to the group. And that's another area of self, self-restraint self where we as a leader need to just be still, oftentimes be still and think or pray first before we before we respond. What are some other ways that self-restraint plays a role in a, in a leader's life? Well, I love that you said that. One of the things that just made me laugh because I thought of the things that I say to my staff sometimes. One of the things that I tell them is, hey, there are very few burning buildings in life. 
And what I mean by that is, hey, every once in a while, something really major happens. A building's on fire, and you need to go save someone from it. That is, you got to make that quick decision. But most of the things that happen in life are not burning building situations. Most of them are things where it definitely pays to take a minute, think it through, figure out what you want to do, and then do it. So some of the things I suggest to people would be, First of all, listen. Listen more than you speak about things, especially when you start feeling something rise up. Just make that commitment. Okay, wait. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to listen. Force yourself to ask a question. If you, if you give yourself extra time, you won't regret it. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I should have said this. I should have done this. I should have. But whenever we feel that, that's more our pride rising up. That's our ego saying, oh, I should have got my words in. It's not really the part of us that's the good leader. It's kind of the part of us that says, oh, I could have, I could have won up them. So that's not the part we want to feed. We want to feed the part that says, okay, sit back, think. Sometimes it's good to make a list. Make a list of the things you want to say when you know you're going to be in a difficult situation. That can be very, very helpful. Even if you don't take the list with you, just committing it down to paper, it's like you've made a little covenant with yourself and with God of the things I'm going to say and how I'm going to say them. Really important. And also really encourage people to think about your tone and your body language and all those little things that can cause um, people to feel uncomfortable or threatened. I mean, restraint is really, really important because it will determine the people around you's reaction to you. There's a verse in Proverbs um, that I really like. It's Proverbs 18, 12, and 13, and it says, Pride first, then the crash, but humility is precursor to honor. Answer before listening is both stupid and rude. And I just love that. <laughs> I think it's so helpful for me because it's like, okay, Don, put aside your ego because that's going to lead you to a big fall down. And just listen because if you don't hear what's going on, you're going to say something that you wish you didn't say. Yeah, yeah. And I like to chew before I go in, especially if you're aware that this is going to be potentially confrontational or a difficult meeting, I like to go ahead and think of the end first of how I want to feel when I'm walking out of this meeting, regardless of what decisions were made. How do I want to feel when I walk out of this meeting? And how do I want other people to feel toward me? Now, I have some control over how I feel, but I really don't have much control over how they feel. What I do have control over is whether or not I give them what they need in order to possibly feel that way toward me. That I do have control over. And so that also helps me to um, to go in with a self-restrained um, attitude where I don't have to have an out- a certain outcome necessarily. What I, what I want is I want to leave with a certain sense of having then Jesus in the meeting uh, to them, uh, letting him flow through me, of having them have the potential to feel safe, to feel loved, to feel heard, to feel honored. And whether they choose to do that or not, it's up to them. But there are certain things that I have to do in order to make that a potential. I love that thought of thinking about the outcome. When I walk out the door, how do I want to feel? I think that's perfect because that really puts everything in a perspective. And I I would think that I'm going to try that because I think it would really guard my actions, my reactions. And if I'm always thinking about how do I, how is this going to end? I think that's, I think that's great. I love it. Thank you. And that was triggered for me by your thought, your top, um, your caution really about tone of voice, body language, because when we go in with a happy outcome in mind, it's much more likely we're going to be relaxed, we're going to be engaging, we're going to communicate love and all those things. So that's that's just how I how I get there. Well, this is Marnie Sweat. We're visiting today with Don Yoder, co-author of Real Women Leading with Proverbs 31 Values. We're going to come right back and talk about honesty, why planning is more than a to-do list, and how leadership is influenced. We'll be right back. Are you registered to receive the Marnie Minute? Have you sometimes missed out on training or connection opportunities because you didn't know about them in advance? Visit Marnie.com and select free updates to receive email notifications so you will never miss a beat. That's free updates over at Marnie.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie. And as always, we've got all kinds of great stuff coming at you in the next few weeks and months, so be sure to go over to Marnie.com and check the live and upcoming events under the events tab. 
Okay. Our guest today is Don Yoder, and we are on the last leg here, but you want to stay tuned to the very end because this is so important. We're going to talk about honesty, planning, and leadership. And, Don, honestly, that's funny, honestly, I really struggled with honesty for a lot of my life. I really, um, from the time that I was teeny tiny, I, I was getting in trouble from stealing things, from telling lies, and my poor parents did everything imaginable. Um, they spanked, they grounded, they took away privileges, took away food. They had me write out every verse in the Bible that talked about lying or cheating uh, or stealing, you know, 100 times each. I mean, they just tried everything they could. And it was really until I was probably in my late 20s to early 30s before I had really any kind of healing in that area that I would call um, major. And honesty is such an important part of our lives. And I want you listening, if you have a trouble with that, if you have trouble with anything, just remember that it's a process. This is a process. You don't just come out of the womb perfect, obviously. And uh, whether this is your issue or a different thing is your issue, just know that, that I get it, that some things take a long, long time to get flushed out of our systems, even when we want desperately to move toward them. When I think of honesty, Donna, I think of how much I value it in others and how much I long to have this be a character quality in my life. You have it here along, um, coupled with the words, honesty encourages confidence. Yeah, First of all, I, I mean, thanks for being so transparent. <laughs> that was, I mean, wow. And secondly, I just want to say, I think you hit it right on. Here's the thing. We have 10 values in this book. The reason there's 10 is because we all struggle with something. Maybe you've just been honest as the day is long since the moment you came out. You just It kills you to tell to not be honest. For other people, like for me, I'm not, we're going to talk about planning next. I'm not a good planner. I'm really not. And so those are things that I have to work on them. We all have to work on things. Um, so that was that was awesome. Wow, you're just like the bestest host. Um, <laughs> but one of the things about honesty, about how I think that it encourages confidence, is because the confidence comes in that people will trust what you say, but it goes beyond trusting what you say. They also expect the best from you. So that is where I think that it becomes really powerful when the people who are following you or that you're working with or even your family, they trust what you say, okay, that's, there's something to that. But when they begin to really expect the best from you because your honesty has spoken for itself, I think that's when you start to really make some headway in relationships. And honesty, it's not just about the words that come out of our mouth. Honesty is really rooted in our motives and our intents. You know, we can say little things, cover little things up, or say it in a way so we hope someone doesn't ask us another question. Or, I mean, there's just a million and five ways to think about that. But it really comes out of what our motive and our intent is in our actions and our conversation and whatever's going on. Mm. Well, I just uh, thank you for your compliments, and I just want to tell you guys how it eventually ended for me was that at, at one point I decided that if I would ever tell a lie again, that I would have to go to the person I lied to, confess, and ask for their forgiveness. And so I had, there was a person in my life who I loved, but she was a little intimidating to me, kind of a little lot intimidating to me. And I lied to her under pressure. And so I had to go to this person I loved and respected, and I had to tell her that I had lied to her and that I was sorry would she forgive me, and she was so gracious and did. And not even six months later, I lied to the same person again in a situation where I felt intimidated. And I had to go to her again and ask her to forgive me for lying, at which point she was so confused. And she said, why are you lying to me? And I said, I really don't know, but I know that I do, and I just don't want to anymore. And so I'm here to ask you to forgive me. And she did. And it wasn't even a year later, and I lied to the same person again. (laughs) And I had to go again to this wonderful person and confess that I had lied to her, and would she please forgive me? And this time we both cried. And that was the last time that I can remember directly lying under duress. And 
it was really painful for me and it was really painful for her, but God allowed it to be a person who can handle it. And we went on later and she became an assistant of mine for a, a huge project that I was working on. And I just want you to take courage, whatever God puts in your heart to do. If he's trying to heal you, it's probably going to be a little painful, but go for it. And we only have five minutes left, Don, and I want you to talk about how planning is more than a to-do list. Okay. Well, sometimes we think planning means I get out my little piece of paper and I make my list of my 10 things and there's what I'm going to do today. And I don't really think that's what planning is. I think that's a to-do list. I think planning is the process of prayerfully setting goals and then outlining the strategies and the tasks, the schedules, the resources, all of those things that's necessary to accomplish the goals. So it's having like that big picture vision as the aim and then specific activity scheduled to achieve that vision or to reach that aim. Um, what I Sometimes I'll ask people for like their plan for the week, and they'll come back with a recap of what, recap of what they did last week. And so that's not, that's not what I'm looking for. I know you did stuff last week, but what was your plan for last week? And it's, um, you know, not reacting to the situations or the demands of the day, although we do need to do that most days, but it's setting the course of action. And it's allowing our daily activities to be connected to the plan rather than being a distraction from the plan. So how do we work those together? Um, so I think there's a couple things the plan has. It has a well-defined vision. It has regular time devoted to prayer. It has other people speaking into it, so you get advice, you talk to people, or you talk to the other people involved in the vision. It has short and long-term goals with reasonable time frames. It has clear and regular communication to other people that are involved in the success of the plan. And then you go back and you reevaluate regularly to say, do I need to adjust anything? You know, I had a plan A, do I need a plan B? That type of thing. So it's definitely not a to-do list. It's definitely more intentional than a to-do list. That's so great. And you know that the only the only point in here that has a to-do list is your long and short-term goals and your evaluation. That's the only thing that has to do with the to-do list. The rest of this is all a higher level. Like my husband will always say, get out of the forest and come up with me here in the helicopter and let down something. <laughs> and uh, see the big picture because I'm, I'm all about, he'll, he'll say something big picture and I'm all about down in the trees, you know, how are we going to navigate this? You know, how are we going to make it work? And uh, he's always like, take a little more time up in the, you know, up with the big picture first before you get down into the details of it. That's so great. And do you actually, do you actually talk about planning in your book? Yeah, we do. We have a whole chapter devoted to it, and then we okay. kind of walk through the steps of if you're going to make a plan, here's the things to remember, like steps to follow for a plan to help people do something. Yeah. Like even when you were talking about your honesty thing, you talked about what you're, you had a small measurable action step. You knew this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So this is making that right. plan. I know what I'm going to do. Right, and it really was very motivational for me <laughs> to tell the truth so I could avoid that particular action step. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about leadership as influence. Well, leadership as influence, it's the power to affect the words, the choices, the behavior, the development, or the character of somebody without the use of force or authority. That's what influence is. And that's how we want to lead people. And I think it's really important for every person to realize they have influence over someone. And sometimes we even have influence over people that we don't even know in a grocery store, at a gas station, uh, p- drivers, you know, other drivers that are, need to pull out. Or, I mean, there's so many, and some of those influences are really small, but it makes yeah. an impact on that person's day. And we just can't forget that all those little things add up to a lot and they do matter. Hmm. I love that. I, I, um, I always say that I started mentoring women when I started teaching four-year-old Sunday school class when I was 11 years old. <laughs> because those were, little future, those were little future women that I was teaching there. When I was 11 years old, I was ahead of them a little bit, and I started mentoring them. You know, that's, wherever you are, whoever you're working with, there are people in your life who are looking to you to mentor them, who are looking to you for leadership, and not necessarily that you're the big leader of the company or whatever, although some of you are, but definitely that you have something that they can learn from you. And I just encourage you to step into that role of mentor with your whole heart to get this book, Real Women Leading with Proverbs 31 Values, to get to know Lisa and Dawn through it and also to come closer to Jesus. Dawn, thank you so much for being here. What a delightful hour. It has been my pleasure, truly. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot from you. So, hey, this is good. Oh, good. Well-invested uh, time. 
Good, good. Well, thank you so much. And you guys can learn more about Dawn over at her website, DawnYoder.com. That's D-A-W-N-Y-O-D-E-R.com. And again, the name of the book is Real Women Leading with Proverbs 31 Values. Thanks so much for being here. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.